Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hi, everyone. I'm Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation. Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, a podcast dedicated to understanding the transition from high school to college athletics. My guest today is Mark Potter, Head of Delivery in the United States for Epic Risk Management, a UK-based organization with the mission of educating others on the ills of problem gambling. Mark is a former professional rugby union player, also has the experience of suffering a gambling disorder. He uses his experience as a former gambler to help others avoid the same path. Please welcome Mark to the show. Mark, how are you? Hi, Mikey. Okay. Nice to be on. Thanks for coming. Uh, I'm doing I'm doing well. Uh, how about yourself uh, over in England? How are things? Yeah, I'm pretty good. We're doing okay. Obviously, I mean, we've known each other for a little while now. We have loved to be able to travel more over to the States, but we're all healthy and we're all fit and we're all still working away. So it's been tough, but it's been doable. And yeah, so all, all good from this end and uh, looking forward to the show. So Mark and I connected initially. I had reached out to Mark, I believe, on LinkedIn uh, because I, I saw his profile and was really um, intrigued by what he does because myself, I'm a, I'm a recovering compulsive gambler as well. So I have eight years gambling free and uh, you know, Mark and I have very similar experiences and that's how we connected and you know, we've, we've spent a little time building a relationship and knowing Mark's path in, you know, in the process of recovery and now having the mission of helping others, I just thought that having his perspective would be really helpful today in terms of understanding how that could affect college level athletes, high school athletes in their performance and ultimately their trajectory in life. Yeah, great stuff. Absolutely. More than happy to to, to help out and share some experiences because actually that that was one of the most difficult things actually is is, is going from an environment that the high school environment, which is very protected in terms of I was raised, it no bones about it. I, I was reasonably privileged um, growing up. I went to a nice school. I came from a nice area, lived in a nice house, great family, had everything I, I really needed uh, to pursue the career that I, that I eventually went on to pursue. And actually that, that made, I think, the transition to, to sort of real life more difficult, if I'm honest. And obviously we'll be happy to go into that and sort of talk through the reasons why as, as we go. You know, it's interesting. I, I think that phrase you just said, transition to real life is, for me, it was a very real thing. You know, gambling was something that was always part of my life, even growing up as a young child. But when I went to college and I wasn't an athlete, gambling was, you know, something that really helped me kind of cope with being away from home, you know, making new friends, you know, what all the things that I felt really, you know, insecure about gambling became a much bigger part of my life in college. And then, you know, as I went through my life and went through transitions, gambling was always there as a, as a crutch to, to try to maybe escape from reality. Can you just talk a little bit more about that transition to professional rugby and kind of some of the things that you were dealing with? Yeah, I think, I guess my, my transition was very similar in many ways to yours, but also very different in the fact that I hadn't had much exposure to gambling as, as a young kid, certainly through high school. My dad was a very low-level sort of gambler who did it for fun and enjoyment, as was my granddad, very much once-a-week kind of things. We did the national lottery as a family, and that was kind of a pound or a dollar a week, a very low-level sort of stuff. And I think when I sort of transitioned out of school and into an adult environment, which was obviously for me in professional sports, 
that suddenly opened up a whole new set of avenues in terms of the availability um, of gambling. As we know, gambling and sports are very much interlinked nowadays. There's so much sponsorship and partnerships going on between organisations, operators, leagues, etc. Um, and it was very similar back then. My club was sponsored by a betting operator. A few of the boys, the older guys at the club were, were heavily invested in horse racing. A couple of them had stakes in race horses. A few of the boys liked to go to the casino and we had what was called a betting club. So our training week, we did full days, Monday, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And then we trained Thursday morning where we had a captain's run and we invariably played on Friday nights. And every Thursday afternoon after training, we'd all grab a shower, grab lunch and a coffee and then go down to the local betting shop, like a retail bookies that they have over here in the UK. And we'd all pool together sort of 10, 20 pounds each. Very low level sort of stuff and a bit of a laugh and a bit of enjoyment on a Thursday afternoon for a couple of hours where we'd pool together and all back the same horses, back the same greyhounds, put a few sports bets on it. It really is a bit of team camaraderie banter kind of thing. What that did was it was great and it was low level, but it sort of opened my eyes and introduced me to the whole concept of gambling and and very much the links between sport and gambling. So I guess that was my introduction because all through school, I didn't really have an interest in it. All I wanted to do through school was get to the point of becoming a sportsman. And obviously when that became reality at 18, when I left school, I thought I'd made it and I thought I'd done it. And, And as you do as a sort of 18 year old kid, I thought I was the dog's nuts and um, I was pretty arrogant and, and as soon as I signed my contract it, it was just another thing on a long line of list of things that went according to plan in my world because I said I came from reasonable privilege I wasn't spoiled by any means but I certainly was given enough tools to to succeed in the career that I wanted to do and obviously from a young age I there was a, there was a level of ability in sport and, and I pursued that and it came to pass that I, I signed my contract at 18 but and then I went into the real man's world and, and, and it opened up all of those opportunities in gambling that I'd never really had or been interested in at, at school. So I mean I would imagine too you know you're on your own for the first time you have a level of independence you're probably making more money than you would have imagined and you probably have a lot of free time on your hands after you're done training right? As we know, those are not necessarily the greatest recipes for somebody who has an appetite for gambling. Can you kind of talk about how that evolved over time? Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, I, I the first job that I ever had was playing rugby. Because I was so busy involved in sport and invested in sport as a young kid, I played rugby, I played cricket, I played golf, I played tennis, I played soccer, I played everything. So I didn't have time for like a part-time job as I was going through school. So that was essentially my first level of pay apart from soft what we would call pocket money off my parents and I went to that environment I was earning 15,000 pounds but to an 18 year old kid it's, it's quite a lot of cash from suddenly going from nothing to that and, and as you say I was a typical training week would be maybe 16 hours so it'd be full days three days or sometimes have a day off um, part afternoon uh, off of Thursdays and, and the day off Friday before the game so you do, I do in essence have a lot of spur time and actually spur time became an issue a little bit further down the line when I started to suffer from, from things like injury and, and being out of the team so definitely definitely the those kind of things as increased spend over a very short period of time and an extra time to myself were, 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 I guess, key issues in the fact that I was looking for things to, to fill my time with. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that we've talked about before and, and one of the things that sort of comes out in that a little bit for me and what you were telling that part of the story is, you know, you're a rugby player, but you played cricket, you played golf, right? The competitiveness element of as being an athlete 
how that, I mean, and then that was, oh, I was always an athlete growing up. That competitive element of gambling, of trying to be right at something or be good at something and have that affirmation that I, I know something that other people don't was really critical to me. It was less about money and more about that. Can you talk about kind of how your competitiveness as an athlete sort of maybe fueled your desire to gamble? I think, do you know what, thinking back on just what you've said, I, I said I, I wasn't a gambler at all as I was at school. I will always consider gambling to be in a bookmakers or, or online gambling. Actually, when you say you play golf, I would never, ever play golf for nothing. It would always be for some sort of monetary value. So every, everything was ultra competitive and because you played competitive sports to a high level that is ingrained in your coaches talk to you about it all the time do you know what I mean teammates everything is about winning and becoming something or everything has a competitive element of an edge in it and actually where I took that into my, my gambling journey and that definitely played a large part in, in getting to the place that I got to 100% yeah and it, for me too that was exactly my experience and you know I think you know, especially when you transition out of sport, I mean, you talked about injury and I know that that was a big part of your story, but then when you transition out altogether, then you're really a lot of times like, I don't have that competitive juice anymore. Where can I find it? And a lot of times it's gambling. And I think, you know, to kind of bring it back to that age group, that 18 to 22 now, you know, you get kids again who are going away for the first time. They see gambling, it's normal now. In the US now, it's normal, right? To talk about lines, to talk about, you could put in a free bet, right? That all, uh, you know, you know, get your first bet for risk free and all those things. And fantasy football, kids are starting at 10, 11 years old, fantasy football, which for me, where, you know, my perspective on gambling is fantasy football is gambling, you know, and I can't do it. Now, for somebody else, that might not be true, but we're, our kids are being exposed to it a lot earlier. So when they get to college and they go out with their with their boys and, you know, they want to go to the track together, there's a lot of rush or juice in that. And I, you know, that was something I was really scared of when I stopped gambling. It's like, how am I going to relate to my friends? Because we did that together so much. Uh, it was really scary, you know? And I, I think that there's just, there's so much that I think the kids don't really understand or the, that age about how powerful and how dangerous gambling could be. Because uh, you just think of it as something that's fun. Yeah, massively. Like you say, the transition out of sport. I mean, for me, it was slightly different because there was a reason behind my transition out of sport. I mean, look, I attended a facility called Sporting Chance, which was a rehab place to get my gambling sorted later on in life. And actually, a lot, so many of the guys that go and attend that nowadays are people that are two or three years after and out, out of the back end of the careers because they come out of it. They come out of that really, it's almost like military, world to a sense where everything is done for you everything is set up for you if you're involved in soccer rugby whatever it is ultimately you get looked after to within you get fed every day you get your kit washed you get your boots cleaned you get bills paid for you you almost live in a weird bubble you don't have to live in the real world and and you obviously get paid handsomely for what you do and when you step out of that environment, number one, it's really difficult to command the same level of salary that you do as an athlete. So you've got to bring your spend levels down to a that sort of manageable level. And, and, and in gambling world, that's a really difficult thing to do if you get used to a level of stakes and spend that you suddenly have to stop and try and bring it back down to manageable play. It's really difficult. The other thing is to try and have structure in your life because sport, like the military, like other things, is a really structured environment. You know you know when you're supposed to eat before games. You know when you're supposed to eat before training. You know what time you've got to be there. You know what kit you need to have. It's very structured. So actually, when you come out of that and suddenly you've got nothing to 
get you out of bed in the morning. You've got nobody telling you where you've got to be, what you've got to eat, what you've got to do. That's a really difficult thing to, to comprehend and grasp. And that's, I believe, why so many people go off the rails and look towards alcohol, drugs, gambling, whatever it may be to fill the void that they suddenly feel and why so many players, you, you read out of biographies every day that say people struggle so badly when they come out of it because it's, it's just a different world. And actually on top of that, you've got to get used to essentially not, not being somebody. If you're, especially if you're a high level person, you, you go into a real world, you're looking for a real job. You've got to get up and out of bed and work nine to five all the time. Actually, that's really difficult to come out from the world that you're in to, to fall into that. And I, and I believe that that plays a big part, big part in it. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, you, you said a lot, you know, you said a lot there and there are a lot of ways that I want this to go because I think ultimately when I heard your story for the first time, like sort of the full entirety of it as somebody who lived it to a certain extent, that progressive nature to the point where it was unsustainable. I just thought some of the elements of that story that you told were, they, I mean, they, they shook me and I'm a guy who hears this stuff all the time in recovery, but you did something interesting about like the identity part of it, right? Like that my identity was I'm an athlete, I'm this, I'm that. Then you come out of it and you don't really have, you know, you don't know who you are anymore to a certain extent. And, you know, gambling, I think for me, and it sounds like for you, gave you a reason to get out of bed. Now, ironically enough, right, it's led you to this life of purpose in helping other people. It led me to the same place. I wouldn't be here if I didn't have gambling because I never felt like I was worth actually doing what I wanted to do with my life. Now it's like I have a reason to get out of bed every day. And it's it's a really cool thing to see that some people, when they think, I think of uh, disordered gambling or alcoholism, drug, drug addiction, they think of people who are just, they're destitute, low life. They don't understand that that behavior is just a symptom of something else that if you can overcome it it can lead you to great things right and that's what I kind of see in your story yeah absolutely I mean the the way I always look at mine is I was involved in an environment that sort of promoted me to go down that route in terms of sport and then a series of events occurred that meant the progression just sped up and sped up and sped up and then I allowed it and I guess other people to an extent allowed it to get to a point that I couldn't come back from it without without doing some pretty pretty bad things. So yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with everything you said. If I'm honest, um, I think it was a mixture for me of environment, circumstance, and, and events that that led me to do what I did. And obviously, I'll, I'll share some more of that as, as we go along. Yeah, to to bring it back to the theme of this, in terms of like understanding the experience of the athlete and what the athletes should be thinking about and looking for. You know, I think you said something, you know, you didn't use the word enabling, but, you know, I think in your story, I kind of got that sense before the people around you, whether it was the club owner, the coaches, are they recognizing it? Do they see it? Are they overlooking it? You know, what, what's that like? What are the other people doing to sort of allow you to keep down that path without actually getting, you know, held accountable? I mean, I guess, I guess my drug of choice was, was obviously gambling. And, and with that, I think it's naturally the most secretive of all of the, of all the disorders, addictions, whichever you want to call it, because there isn't really a tell. Um, I, I will never forget a day when I'd literally been up all night till six in the morning. I'd had an hour and a half sleep and I'd lost maybe 10 grand the night before. I was in absolutely terrible condition, no no fit state to train. And I walked into training straight past the coach, not a bother, put my clothes on my peg, got changed and went to training and, and, and got away with it. Whereas one of the one of my friends, he'd, he'd had a, an argument with his wife. She threw him out of the house and he went to the local pub, drank a few pints 
went home and turned up to training the next day and the coach literally smelt alcohol on his breath, fined him two weeks' wages, sent him home and he didn't get picked that week. And I'm like, the differential between what he did and what I did was disproportionate, but he was the one that got punished and I didn't because fundamentally my drug of choice had no tell. And I think in terms of enablement, I think people inadvertently enabled me because they didn't know what I was going through and what, what was going on. And I think with gambling, I think that can happen an awful lot in terms of a lot of my teammates in the early stages. As I say, they had stakes in horses. They were saying, come on, let's go here. Let's go to the betting shop. Let's go for a day at the casino. Let's go here and we go drinking. And uh, you know how it is. And you sort of get caught up in that world. You also want to fit in. I think that's a big part of it. The transition out of school, and I think it's a really important point, is when you go to college, the first thing you want to do is make friends and fit in. If that is, it doesn't matter what it is, you, you will essentially do anything really to go and find your way and find who you are, find you, your friend group. And, and for me, that involved gambling and that led me to, it didn't make me become what I became, but it certainly enabled me to start on that journey. And then we can obviously see where it went from there. But that's a big and important point for kids coming out of high school. I would it, find in your own way and, and not like, it's very difficult to be a shepherd and not a sheep when you go into a large environment. And, um, and for me, I was ultimately, I was one of the youngest in the squad. I was a sheep and I just went along with what everybody else did because I thought that would help me fit in. I played cards on the bus. I went to the bookies, I did this, I went to the casino because ultimately I was a young kid that wanted to make an impression. And that's what I tried to do. No, I, I relate to that so much because when I went to college, I didn't. I had a hard time making friends because so many of my friends, first of all, I, I went to a place that I, I'd never been before. And secondly, I, I didn't know anybody who gambled. Like gambling was such a big part of our social structure for me in high school. Then I go to this new place, people aren't doing it. I actually found somebody who was interested in gambling and I sort of co-opted him. And then for four years, our, our experience as friends was gambling, you know, trips to the casino, trips to the horse track, you know, betting on football, finding a bookie on campus, right? Like I totally can relate to that because you do want to fit in. And I can tell you when I was 37 and I stopped gambling or I chose that I wanted to stop that path, that was the scariest thing I could think about was like, what are people going to think of me when I tell them I'm not gambling anymore? For 25 years, my identity was as a gambler. And now I'm not, ha- I'm not going to have that in my life. That's, that's a really, it was really scary for me. I can't speak for anybody else, but it was really scary for me. When you're 18, 19, 20, you're so much more impressionable and you have a lot less to lose. I mean, weirdly, I, I guess when I left school and signed my academy rugby contract, that was essentially my college. I went to do that. I did go to college one day a week as part of that to continue my education. But now, where I work now at Epic, we've got sort of six or seven or eight guys with what you would call lived experience of gambling-related harm. And over half of them began to gamble at university or college. And that can't be a it can't be a coincidence, I guess, because as you just said rightly said, you're at your most impressionable age. You want to fit in with the crowd and most people go along with a group of people the first time they do it. And I guess that's why people gamble. They, they gamble to fit in, to be part of a crowd for fun and enjoyment. And I think, but what happens when you get further down the line and you get invested in it? it stops becoming about the fun and enjoyment, or it certainly did for, for you and I. 
and you start to do it for different reasons. And actually, when you do it for different reasons, the group sort of environment slowly fades away and you start to do it on your own in isolation. And that's obviously when the issues start to arise because I didn't want people to know how much I was spending or how much time I was spending doing it. I felt, I personally felt a lot of shame in that. And I became very isolated from, and I had a family, I had a wife and kids and nobody, nobody really knew what I, they knew I gambled, but they didn't know what I was doing. And so I can totally relate to that. But I think it's a good segue. You mentioned Epic. I, you know, I sort of talked about it a little bit in the intro, but can you talk a little bit more about what, you know, what Epic does and how it's, you know, what, what its mission is every day? Yeah, I mean, it's a really, I guess it's a really interesting story in how Epic was created because the owner and CEO, whose name is Paul, he doesn't come from a sporting environment. Um, He actually worked for Europe's biggest bank, which was Santander, and he had a really successful career in banking. Alongside that, he had a 10-year pathological gambling disorder, which was very secretive. He ended. He owned 16 racehorses, two greyhounds, all that kind of thing, all in secret from family, friends, wife, work colleagues. And as we know, when, when gambling beca- goes too far past the point of no return and the money dries up and you have to look for other avenues of credit and being involved in, in the industry that he was, and having access to funds, he, he unfortunately he, he ended up transacting five million pounds over ten years, losing one and a half million pounds, and of one and a half million pounds he lost four hundred and forty-four thousand of it was Santander's money and, and not his. So actually, after realizing what he'd done and trying to hang himself in his office from from his tie, unsuccessfully, thankfully for, for all of us, I guess he handed himself in and he was given a two-year seven-month prison sentence to which he served half of that. And actually, while he was in prison, he researched everything he could about why he got to the place he got to and and decided that he wanted to do something different. Very much like yourself, where you got to a point that you wanted to do something different. For him, it was off the back of a prison sentence and, and a suicide attempt. And he actually created Epic from his prison cell. And with the idea of that, and the EPIC stands for Education, Prevention, Identification and Control. And I guess that's very much part of the gambling mantra that we have created it in terms of to help educate people around the risks of it. Because there are a lot of things, especially in the UK now, which I guess we're probably three to five years ahead of the US in terms of the gambling market. There are a lot of prevention things. There are, there are sorry, there are a lot of treatment facilities here for to deal with people who already have a disorder but there is not a lot to stop them from getting and and i guess falling off the edge of that cliff in the first place so what we we created epic with the idea of educating people around the dangers of it and that slowly but surely grew and and i was the first employee and i've been there over five years now and we started to work in education in seeing in sport so we did a lot in education around rugby and cricket and then soccer and and as things grew and escalated more and more people got wind of what we did more people wanted to be involved we started to work with betting operators in terms of delivering training around how to effectively identify a vulnerable person to gambling how to interact with that person and then how to manage all aspects of risk so it's really diverse now so we work in sort of very different pillars we have sport we do education in schools and college settings and we'll talk a little bit more about the work that we do in the US in terms of elite sport and and NCA college We've delivered programs in prisons, we've delivered programs to the military and we work with the gambling industry. So it's really diverse and it's a really, I guess, 
it's probably not the average way you set up a company, but it's something for me, obviously coming from the place that I did is, is really rewarding to be able to help people and stop people using my own experiences and, and um, looking at those risks and, and, and being able to mitigate others from, from falling down the same path. And, and I guess you sort of have the same idea and, and you carry the same philosophy as us in, in the fact that the more people we can prevent getting to the edge of that cliff and stopping them from falling off it, the better and the more safe and sustainable the US gambling industry will, will be. Yeah. I, listen, I, I think is there's no there's no mistaking the fact that gambling is not going anywhere in the United States and that it's only going to grow, right? You know, I come from a very individualistic perspective in terms of my gambling recovery because the way I recovered was a very, you know, in a 12-step program is very different. It's not promoted. It's not, you come to it, it does not come to you. And that worked for me, but it doesn't work for everybody. And I think building that awareness externally is really important. And I think, you know, when you told, I didn't really know Paul's story, but I know stories of people like him. I mean, I have friends and I had a sponsor who went to jail. I seen people go to court and go, go away for years for embezzling money. I've seen people try to take their lives or heard about it. Like I get that. And I think for a lot of you know young people, a lot of times you could tell them, Hey, don't gamble. It's bad. And they'll just sort of laugh in your face. But if you tell them, Hey, this is what it leads to. Like hey, this guy tried to hang himself in his office because he got himself into a hole that he couldn't get out of, even though he was wildly successful financially, that experience, I think, gets your attention. And I think that that's part of this process and educating is sometimes you've got to get people's attention with things that are really, really hard to talk about so that they can understand like this is the possible path you could go down if you get yourself in, in a bad way with gambling. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I think the biggest thing, the biggest and best thing we do is we use real life experiences to identify those risks and actually show how if certain things could have been done differently or we would have identified things or we would have looked at more education or whatever it was or, or understood our own relationships with gambling, we may have been able to navigate ourselves off that path with, with some help. And and it's that's really important thing. We are not anti-gambling. That's a really important thing to say. We're just anti problem gambling and i think there's ways and means to educate and there's ways and means to provide the tools for people to navigate themselves away from that and i think that's what what we really look to do but more, no bones about it if we, we work with some gambling operators and if we think that there's improvements that they can make we will be pretty straight in telling them so and, and that's fine and they understand that and they accept that because they know the places that we've been to and they know that we understand from a customer's perspective what what works and what doesn't, I guess, to an extent. So yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting, but it's a really rewarding thing to do and a rewarding company to work for. And like you say, it, doing something that you take pride in helps you get out of bed in the morning, I think. Yeah, that's, it does. It certainly does for me. Having a purpose is important because otherwise you just sort of, you know, chasing the wind. At least that's the way I feel. I, I think there's also a misconception about gambling, you know, from where I stand in my experience is that people think of it as, as a financial issue, right? And what I think we know is that just because you don't have money doesn't mean you can't find a way to get it. And a lot of times that's illegally. Can you can you talk about your experience in that respect in terms of, you know, using money as fuel to gamble, but then when you run out of it, like what, what are some of the things you're doing to get your hands on money to gamble? My sort of story takes a very, I guess, a very normal timeline for most people that suffer from gambling problems because I came into it, I, I was a sportsman, I was very competitive. I suffered an injury as a, a young enough age and I was out of the game for a long time. I was then looking for ways to replicate the buzz and adrenaline 
adrenaline and the ups and downs of winning and losing in sport that I wasn't getting from it. And actually, I found gambling to be really similar to that. I found the ups and downs of, of winning and losing on horse racing to be very similar to get what I needed to get, really, about in those time. And then from that, I, I had a large win as a young lad. Uh, I won the equivalent of $14,000 from a $50 bet, which dramatically increased my gambling activity tenfold. I, I literally went from the day I won it, I went from 2 and $3 bets the day before to 2 and $300 bets the day after because I could because I had an air of invincibility, because I thought I could win, because the buzz and the adrenaline that I got from the win made me want it again. And because I had money in my account to gamble with that wasn't mine, I hadn't earned and I wasn't dipping into my own salary at the time, I just found it to be something that I could do with free will. I guess I could at that stage because I was playing with somebody else's money, I was playing with winnings. But what it did do was the six months that I used to play in with the winnings created an environment for me that would become very much unsustainable going forward because when I ran out of the winnings and when I had to start using my own money, I found it really difficult to go back to a manageable level of spend was affordable for me and I wanted to continue to do it. I wanted to carry on experiencing the buzz and the adrenaline of winning large amounts of money. And then when I started to get into debt, as you said, I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. When I was losing, I wanted to win it back. So I guess I started off doing it for fun and enjoyment. As soon as I won my money, then transferred to buzz replication of trying to replicate how good it felt when I won that money. And then later on down the line, when negative things started to happen life-wise, I started to use it as an escapism because actually when I didn't want to worry about other things that were going on, whether that be pregnancies, whether that be being out of the team, injuries, whatever that may be, actually when I was involved in gambling, it was the only time that I didn't have to worry about all the other things. So it very quickly escalated from fun and enjoyment to buzz replication to, to escapism. And, and that's when I really, really started to suffer from issues because I could never, ever find a way of getting back to a manageable level of spend. If I connect that back to a co- you know a college athlete's experience, right? Like if so, if you're an athlete and you get hurt and you have the free time, maybe you get a little depressed, you have free time and you want that adrenaline rush, you might turn to gambling or maybe you're not performing at the level that you want, maybe you're not playing, maybe you're having not as much success as you want. You know, get, like you said before, gambling is very secretive, but it also replicates that competitive feel, right? Which is, you know, there's a lot of research out there as to why athletes, particularly male athletes, gamble. And that's it, right? Like at the end of the day, it's some of its identity, some of its dealing with emotional, you know, challenges, some of its, you know, injury, free time, what have you. But, you know, that male 18 to 22 demographic is, is very much at risk for problem gambling for a lot of reasons. So can you just talk about what, the content of the epic programming looks like when you're educating college level athletes? Yeah, so uh, we fully understand that around the risks of, look, you come out of your home environment, you go live in a way, you've automatically got more time, you're automatically in a competitive environment. That straight away increases your risk of becoming a gambler, not necessarily a problem gambler, because we know not everybody goes on to do that. What we try and do is is identify the risks of that and mitigate the risk from that happening. So what we do at the moment with the programme, we're, we're currently, we've got a two-year programme, which we're really lucky to have the support of the GVC Foundation US, which is a, a sort of not-for-profit, charitable arm, looking to identify and mitigate the risk of gambling harm. And we've 
we've teamed up with them to provide education and awareness sessions uh, and some sports betting integrity things because that's I guess is another thing we can cover um, to student athletes in NCA college settings currently we're looking to deliver over 160 sessions probably many more over over the next two years we're sort of nine months into the first year now obviously this whole COVID situation has, has slowed the progress down a little bit but we've, we've still managed to be able to deliver plenty over sort of digital platforms like Zoom and Teams but the content is essentially raising awareness of, of how easy it is for a young athlete in the circumstances that you find yourself to sort of become involved in a relationship with gambling for some of the reasons that we've spoken about and then when and if you do we will highlight the risks and certain triggers that can occur and certain experiences that you can go through that will hopefully help you identify that and navigate yourself away from that path as part of the session i i if it's me delivering the session would would tell my own experience of, of harm um through sport which always tends to get the authenticity I guess of some real life events happening when you're telling it live in a room tends to get their attention and if you get their attention it makes the education piece around the whole story of lived experience it makes it land I guess better because having that authenticity sort of and showing that you've been through it and showing that actually you can come out the other side as well is really useful we then cover the links between problem gambling and sports betting integrity which which is is a, I guess is a very wide platform it, it can in- cover points fixing match fixing the provision of information illegal gambling sort of syndicates so there's all that kind of stuff but for me there's a big link between the two and and i guess there's even more of a danger of of college setting getting involved in that because you're playing events that have gambling markets on them college even high school sports have gambling markets on them in the u.s the guys who are playing it are not commanding six seven figure salaries at that time they've got to pay their way through college in some way and it's not beyond the realms of possibility that people with will approach them and offer them money to fix a certain element of a game or provide some information and that has happened i guess already there's there's, there's elements of stories in the press that of that happening um, it certainly happened over in the uk and i guess to identify that and to show the risks of that and to show actually what what people know about you in terms of the operators will hopefully navigate them away from that also so as it stands we've we've delivered over 40 sessions to to numerous ncaa colleges feedback's been unbelievable people have took it on board we provide support networks post session for anybody that wants to ask further questions or engage in some support and and it's been really for me it's one thing that i really wish i'd had when i was a young sort of naive sportsman not understanding the whole gambling market and especially with the u.s where this is really coinciding with the takeoff of of legalized sports wagering i think it's a really good and and a valuable time to be providing this because I think it's something that's only going to grow and grow over the next few years. It's also going to be the case that the high profile college athletes, professional athletes are going to engage in sponsorships with operators as well. Leagues and teams are. So there's going to be opportunity. And I guess it's something, I think one of the biggest issues for me is when I wanted to be an athlete and I guess people going into the 
the college setting, wanting to prove themselves as an athlete, it's very difficult to spend a lot of time drinking or taking drugs because you get tested for that kind of stuff. Gambling is something that is, is free and easy and available. And I think it's something that is seen as a bit of, like you say, the competitive buzz. It's a bit of a camaraderie banter thing. And if done in the wrong way, and if you're not highlighting the risks in the right way, then it can very easily become a problem as it as it did for the both of us. Yeah. So, so it says a couple of things there. So that last part, that, that last thing, you said was really resonates with me, right? And I think I may have told you this before. You know, I, I I always gambled, so it wasn't like it was new. But when my first child was born, that's exactly I started to gamble on a daily basis because I wanted to be physically present. I didn't want to be impaired, right? I was dealing with stuff that I didn't realize I was dealing with it, but I was turned to gambling as a way to kind of entertain myself, as a way to kind of feel like I had something for myself because it was such a big responsibility to be a parent. That lack of visual kind of impairment is a big deal, right? If you're out, you know, you're, you leave home, you go out to the pub or you, you know, you're doing, you're doing illegal drugs when you have kids, like your, your significant other can tell what's going on. But when you're gambling, you know, you don't really know, right? So it's, it's a great way to kind of hide from other people, but still kind of get that escape that, that you're looking for. I think the other point to go back to the compliance and integrity piece of it, I think the other thing that the, you know, not only could athletes be approached by people on the outside looking to have them match fix or whatever, but if you're gambling as an athlete and you get into a debt with a bookie that you can't pay, you're much more likely to get yourself into that jam of, well, how am I going to pay off this debt? Maybe if I just do what he asks me to do, it'll go away right? Which is just, you compromise your, your integrity in that spot. And I think a lot of kids, especially those who are not, are not understanding of how the markets work and how the black market works, particularly the illegal gambling market, you know, to at least to understand that you're getting involved with something that is much bigger than you is, is at least in a will, an awareness building point that I think a lot of younger athletes need to understand, you know, to, to at least put them, put themselves in a position to like, get it. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, 100%. I think with the integrity piece and um, more often than not, that, that whether it's a bookie that you owe money to, whether it's a syndicate, whether it's, I mean, these guys are not silly. They, they know who's a vulnerable person anyway. They will also, the likelihood is that the first thing they ask you to do will be pretty low level. And you'll probably think, yeah, I might be able to do that, pull that off, carry it off, make a few pounds, make a few dollars. But actually once you've done that, you're in the grasp because they know they can always blow you up to whoever that may be, whatever governing body it may be, school, college, league, organization. And then once they've got you hooked, they will just pick in you and pick in you and pick in you for more and more and more to the point that you, it becomes unsustainable and you just can't cope with it. So it, it's a massively important thing to educate around, especially for young sort of impressionable guys in a college setting who who maybe think they can make a quick dollar. So yeah, really, really important thing to, to look at. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I also think a lot about, and I wonder, you know, what happens to the markets when it becomes legalized in the United States, you know, across all 50 states, which, you know, I think that's probably, you, you have a better sense of that than I do, but I think it's only a matter of time, whether it's, you know, one year, three or five years, whatever. Once that happens, I wonder what happens to that element of, of the black market or illegal gambling. Uh, is there a demand for it or does it go away? I, I don't know. But if, do you kind of, do you guys, are, are you looking at that, you know, long-term? I think if our projections are right, we think that by 
in the next 18 months, there will be 48 states that are legalised with, with sports wagering. Uh, I think Utah will be one that isn't, and then I can't remember the other one. But we're talking a, a significant proportion of, of the US will fall under that. And, and I think the, real, the important part is to, is to get the, the regs, the legislation right, because if they're pretty hot on all of the things that you, you need to have to become a sustainable, you're in a place that actually you've got an opportunity to create something that is safe and sustainable uh, and fun and enjoyable and not suffer from some of the, the wrongdoings that have happened over in the UK and across Europe. It's a really exciting time, I guess, on one hand, but it's also a really risky time on another hand because we've already, stats show that there are already up to 6 million uh, US citizens showing direct, showing problematic gambling behaviours and, and 2 million that already show severe harm from gambling. As we know as a secretive thing, the likelihood is that those figures are very much higher. My worry is that you're going to wait until you start to see some of the things that we encountered, like suicide attempts, bankruptcies, divorce, loss of careers, these things coming out in the press before actually it's realised that something needs to be done to make sure it's it's done compliant and done in a safe way. And I hope that's not the case. Absolutely right. For though, for you know, tr- you know, historically, right for some. Somebody like me, like I could always ask a question or I'm one or two phone calls away to find myself a bookmaker because I just sort of knew how to do that. A lot of people don't understand that. And so they don't get into sports gambling, particularly because they're like, I don't know how to do it, nor do I want to do it. It's illegal. It scares them. When it becomes legal, then all of a sudden it's, it's accessible to everybody. And then all the assets that you accumulate, all the things that you accumulate, both financial and otherwise, are at risk, right? You know, leveraging against your mortgage, right? Leveraging against your retirement, credit cards, spending more time at, at the sports book to be away from your family, right? Like, I think there's a huge risk on that side of it as well, even if it becomes legal, because then there's still ways to, to blow yourself up, to kind of use your phrase. Uh, yeah, I mean, just to, to, to go back to your point before, and when you say you... you you spent your time gambling when your your kids were born because it was a way of being present, but still, I guess, doing what you needed to get. I, I was very similar to that. I, as much as I thought I was the world's greatest parent because I used to come home all the time. I I, I spent sixteen hours a week at the rugby club, played, and I spent a lot of time home. I actually wasn't really present because, and even then, r- rugby for me was a means to an end of getting paid. By that time, the time that I had kids, because I wasn't enjoying it, I was doing it to get paid so I could deposit money into my online gambling account. I then went home and went straight upstairs, barely said hello to anybody in my house, went straight on my laptop, pretended that I was watching reruns of games, watching videos of the things that I should have been doing career-wise. But actually I was on I was on Paddy Power or Labbrooks or whatever it was and, and just watching incessant also. And actually I was either trying to get myself out of debt or trying to win enough money to solve all of my problems, neither of which occurred. And the, the more I tried to do that, the more my competitive edge as a sportsman kicked in. I was like, I've got to get myself back to zero because then I'm not then I'm not a loser. And that, I think, is part of the biggest issue with the competitive stuff. I didn't want to be seen as a loser to myself because I was doing it in secret. But I also wanted to win enough money to solve all the issues that I'd been creating from my gambling because I was in masses of debt. And as I said, I, I won my money six months later, my money ran out, I then started to use other ways of credit to to keep gambling in 
with the sort of levels I'd got used to. And that meant credit cards, that meant loans, that meant getting into debt. That then meant hiding my behaviours when I got married and had kids, hiding my behaviours from my partner. That meant dipping into the savings account. That meant missing payments from my mortgage. It meant missing payments from my car. It meant missing bills. It meant letters coming to my house uh, asking for money. Of the time I was doing all of this, my wife didn't know anything about it because I went to great lengths to hide it. I used to pay the postman money each month to not put mail through my door that was incriminating. I used to pull the house phone call slightly out the wall. It Weirdly, I just became the most secretive guy in the world that did anything and everything to not be found out. And that got to a stage where bailiffs came to my house. I borrowed money from my rugby club. I then stole money from my rugby club. I then was desperate to repay that. So I tried to gamble my way out of it. I then lost even more. I then got found out. I got sacked. I got I borrowed money from gangsters. I... I went to court. I got. I tried to keep that a secret. I then got found out. It was in the national press. I got kicked out by my wife. I had to move back to England, going back living with my parents in my early 30s to try and pay off a court debt and a gangster debt. Otherwise, I would either be going to prison or be shot and killed. Those are the kind of things that I got myself involved in. And, and as somebody that was brought up right by the parents and in a very moral way, none of the things that I did, I ever thought I was capable of. And that was stealing money from somebody, almost going to prison, almost being shot and killed, getting other people involved in that, having to rely on bailouts from my friends to pay these people off. Unbelievable. And actually, when you talk about the money, the money, when I look back on all of the things that I did, is kind of irrelevant, even though I lost an awful lot and spent an awful lot. The biggest things that you look back on and regret are the fact that I didn't make anything of my career. I missed my daughter's birth. I got kicked out by my partner. I spent 10 months away from her and, and the kids. I should have probably gone to prison. I had to rely on bailouts from people. I used to steal off my mum. All of that sort of stuff came about because I never learned to understand my relationship with gambling. I let it get to the stage where I just I was just probably one of the worst human beings in the world. And, and actually, I never... And I, when I was involved in it, never thought that was the case because I always thought I was doing the right thing. And I always thought by, and I think that's one of the issues with gambling. I always thought I could win my way out of debt. And because I had experience of doing it before, I thought I could do it again. And everything was always about buying myself some more time or justifying the fact that I was taking money from people because I was doing it for the right reasons, because I wanted to win it back. It was such a bizarre lifestyle to lead and and actually very tiring and very time consuming and exhausting. It was exhausting for me. I mean, you know, so I've been listening to stories like this for eight years. And frankly, what helps for me to stay stopped, right, is to hear those stories and think now after eight years, like how insane that sounds. But those are some of the things that I did too. And it's, it was exhausting. And I think at the very end for me, when, when I accepted that the money was gone and it wasn't coming back, and I accepted that this is, this was unsustainable. I couldn't do anymore. I was exhausted because there were so many days and nights where I'd come home and go, I just want to take one night off. I don't want to bet tonight. I need a break. And I could never do it. I was just completely immersed in it. And, you know, like you said, the late nights, the watching the games, watching the horses, getting up in the morning, the handicap before you go to work. I mean, I did all those things. It's, it's exhausting. And I think the people who don't, who don't understand it, like, I think they still have a hard time getting it, right? Because it's so, it's so crazy. It's so crazy to think about those are the things that we did, but it's possible, right? And it's not, no one is immune from it, especially if they have things in their life that they, they, they're trying to deal with emotionally they can gravitate to something like gambling because it's something that seems entertaining. It seems like it 
you know, is, is, uh, is a distraction, but it ends up being a, you know, it ends up being a, you know, to destroy your life. Oh, 100%. I get all looking back now, you stand there and think, how could you possibly thought that the things that you did was acceptable? But at the time, I genuinely did. I genuinely believe what I was doing was the right thing. And it's such a strange thing to say. And I think that was one of the most things that I found the most difficult is when I went to treatment and, and got all of the things I needed out of treatment, which was counselling, psychotherapy, meeting other people in the same But The biggest thing that I, I got from it was I learned to understand the reasons why I did what I did for me. Because I was like, and then, and it brought it back to the fact that I was a sportsman. I think this is a really key point for the guys going into transitioning into colleges. Because I was a sportsman, I was ultra competitive. And when I started to gamble and I started to lose, I didn't like it and I didn't want to be a loser. And I wanted to get myself out back to zero. And the, the more and more I tried to do it, the further and further I got into issues, problems and debt. I then factor that into the fact that I got significant injury. I wasn't getting what I needed out of sport. And that's going to happen to some people in a college setting. Of course, it is because it's something that you can't avoid. I looked for other avenues of of entertainment and buzz and adrenaline from what I wasn't getting out of sport. And I found that in gambling. Gambling was what I used to to replicate the things that I weren't getting out of sport. I I then encountered a large win as a young man not knowing what that meant or what risks that carried. And it changed the way I gambled. It changed my approach to it. It changed my excitement levels. It changed the amount I wanted to stake. It changed the amount of time I wanted to spend on it. Suddenly, the thought of having 15 grand in your betting account is is significantly more exciting than $15. So it was like, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to get home from training. So that took a backseat. So actually everything had an impact very early. And the fact that I never learned to understand that meant that I got to where I got. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for the young lads in the college setting is to understand your relationship and not just with gambling, with anything. Understand your relationship. If you've got an unhealthy relationship with something is understand it, talk to somebody, seek some support. And actually that makes it become very much more accessible because it's a cheesy saying, but it's it couldn't be more true is a problem shared is a problem halved. And that is absolutely the case. And it's something that I'd so wish I would have done earlier because if I'd have prevented just some of the things from happening that did, then maybe it could have gone down a different path. Weirdly, some of it I don't regret because it's led me to where I am now and I really enjoy what I'm doing now. I just wish it didn't have the impact that it had on certain people. And and when you look at when you look back at all the regrets, money is absolutely at the bottom because... I agree, but that's my experience. The fact that I missed my daughter's birth is probably the worst thing I will ever have to deal with. The fact that I never made anything of my career is something for young kids going to a college setting. You do not want to let this be the thing that prevents you from being what you can be. And that may not be earning millions of dollars in the NFL or the NBA or whatever it may be, but I guarantee if you let this become an issue, you will not make a hundred percent of your ability or your talents because it will affect it, it affected me in massive ways i couldn't sleep i couldn't function um it affected my enjoyment factor all of those things that if it if it wasn't a, an issue or a problem i'm not saying i would have made the greatest player alive but i certainly would have been better than what i became and that is a really big takeaway and, and i and i equate that to performance on the field right if you're if you're any sort of athlete right sometimes the harder you try and the more you think the worse you make it right and i think that that's what this is right we get to a point in our gambling where we're, we're just we want to we want to make it right we want to we want to do it well we want to be successful and we try so hard 
that it just, you know, it just, it just brings us down. A couple more questions and I'll let you move on. Uh, but I, this has been, you know, I just, I could talk about this stuff all day because it's my experience, but so I'm going to be selfish here because I mean, you've told us a lot of personal things about your story, but there's one story that you've told me. And I think it was in the context of your kind of story arc was the story where you had a, 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 a sizable wager on a horse coming down the stretch and the, the, the rider fell off the horse. That shook me. Like it brought me back to a place that I never thought I could go. I was like, I almost, I, I felt like I was getting sick to my stomach. Can you tell that story just to kind of put things in the context as to where you were at that point? So actually at what had happened, this was all tied into the time that I actually stole money from my employer, which was my rugby club. I stole money from my rugby club to pay off my mortgage debt because I didn't want us to become homeless. So I went into the bank with an amount of money that I'd taken from my boss, paid an element of my mortgage off and used the rest to take to the bet to my online bookmaker, deposit it and go home. And I knew I needed to win a certain amount of money to, to pay off my immediate debts, which was pay back pay back the chairman that I stole the money off, pay the remainder of my mortgage and, and, and see off a few other little debts. And I worked out I needed 13,300 and I had started with 4,700, which is what I had left. And I had a few winners and I was doing all right. And I got up to 14 and a half grand and I decided because I'd been given some information from one of my friends that I would put a four and a half thousand pound bet on a horse um, and when if and when it won which it was absolutely should have and was entitled to win I would have had 23,000 in my betting account which would have enabled me to cash out the 13 grand that I needed pay back that stuff and still have 10 grand in my betting account which um, and that for me would have been the perfect scenario and would have enabled me to carry on doing what I wanted to do and, and I put a four and a half grand bet on a horse and it jumped the last fence in a jumps race in the UK so far in front that it couldn't lose uh, and as it was the last 200 yards running up to the line, his back leg slipped in the mud because it was raining and the jockey fell off 200 yards from the line. And and that essentially cost me £12,500. As you can imagine, I was just absolutely devastated. I smashed my dinner plate against the wall. And where I was mentally at that stage, when I started to bet with my 4700 at the start of the day, I was so mentally mixed up that if I lost it all, I was considering burning my house down because that's... Because I thought if I did, I didn't have to pay for it. And, and that's where I was mentally. But as it turned out, my horse lost. I was back down to 10 grand. I needed more. And I carried on betting for the rest of the day to the point where I was down to 1,500. And I spent my last 1,500 at 1.30 in the morning, sat in the dark in my living room uh, with my laptop on mute so my wife wouldn't wake up betting on a baseball match in America that I didn't know the rules of and I wasn't interested in because that was what was there and what was available. And that is literally where I got to because I was so desperate to win my way out of debt and not be found out about the money that I'd stolen and the fact that, that that all of the negative things that that will bring and that's where I ultimately got to and and as you know what what happened from there it, it only got worse but yeah it was it was not great um, and I wouldn't recommend it to anybody and I guess that's part of the reason we do what we do now because as much as as much as we're not anti-gambling we only ever want want people to do it for fun and enjoyment not for the reasons I was doing it at that stage or the reasons you were doing it at that stage because it's unhealthy it affects your life in such a negative way half of which you don't fully understand when you're in the midst of it and then it's more often than not it's too late 
or you're in serious need of third party treatment or support to get yourself out of it. And that's what we try and advocate is if somebody is going to enter into a relationship with it, they're fully informed of the risks and they're fully informed and they're only going to do it within what is disposable income for them. And that one person's $5 is another person's $5,000. Everybody has different levels of affordability. But what it's really important to do is find yours and find a way that works for you if you are going to do it. And if you're not, all the better. But if you are, at least enter into it with a, with a with an element of, of realism about what the risks can possibly bring. Because get into a get into a place where you're sitting on top of a bridge at a train station, trying to psych yourself up to jump off a, off it in front of a train is is not yeah. it's not an ideal way. Not to where be. you want to be. No, I mean as much as much as I, I love doing what I do now, I wouldn't recommend it as a career path. <laughs> No, uh, to, no, no. to have to go through all of that stuff to do. But, but look, I mean, fortunately for me, it ended well and it's ended in, in where we are now talking about this today. That isn't the case with other, that isn't the case with everybody. It, there's a reason why gambling has the highest suicide rate of any addiction because the financial implications of what you do and the impact it has on others, it's very much more than the sum of what you're doing to yourself. And that is why I think it's something that, especially in the US with the emerging markets, it really needs to be looked at and really needs to be, I guess, discussed and and considered. Listen, I I wouldn't have had you on if I didn't believe that building awareness is the first step in the process. And I think that for a lot of people, there's just a lack of awareness, especially young people who don't, who think you use the word invincible. That's the word that comes to mind, right? I can do whatever I want. I'm untouchable, especially a high level athlete who's always been told they're so special. Mate, that's a great word. Do you know what? And, and that is exactly what I thought I was because I was a young athlete who was going places, who then got injured, who then won $14,000 in, in a bet who actually then thought I was invincible in the gambling world. And actually, as it turned out, that was probably the worst thing that could have ever happened because it changed everything. And actually, somebody said this. I mean, I've fortunately for me, I went to treatment nearly nine years ago now and I've eight and a half years clean from betting, gone through all sorts of treatment, never going to do it again, fully understand the reasons why I did what I did, love doing what I do. And about 18 months ago, somebody said to me, when you won your money, what did it feel like? And I was like, unbelievable. But then he saw the thing he came out of his mouth. He said, don't forget free money carries no worth. And I've never, ever forgot him saying that because it couldn't have been more true because what I, what I deemed was acceptable to do with that money actually accelerated all of the vulnerabilities going forward. And I didn't think it had any worth because it was somebody else's and not mine. And I wouldn't have dreamed of spending that amount of money that was mine at that stage when I didn't have an issue. And that, and I guess that's why most people like you or I that go through this, this, this disorder, if what you call it nowadays is they would have experienced um, an air of invincibility, like you say, or, or an element of, of sort of enjoyment because they go through that. They go through, because let's be honest, if you set up a betting account and your first 20 bets all lose, you're going to think, well, I don't think this is for me. Um, but I went through that that win and, and what it felt and what it gave to me was something that accelerated all of the issues. And especially if you, if you incorporate the fact that I was a, a young, pretty arrogant sportsman as well. On top of that, I just thought my... That's, that's I mean, that's the, the, the common thread in all of it is ego, right? We think that... We're so every gambler, every athlete thinks they're the most special thing in the world. And, you know, you don't realize that you're not that special until things start to really go wrong. And, you know, we hold on to that idea that we are special for as long as possible until 
we can't anymore and we have to move on with our lives. And I think that sounds like it's what happened to both yourself and myself. So in the interest of time, I want to ask you one more question and let, we'll wrap up here. So if you, had, what's, if, you had to say, if you had to say one thing to uh, an athlete, young athlete, high school, college athlete, like what's the one thing you would tell them um, about you know, gambling that they should be thinking about in terms of trying to protect themselves? In all honesty, I wouldn't recommend doing it for a young college athlete at all because doing it in any sense of the word, I guess, fundamentally, I guess, is illegal till you're 21. I also think it can have, depending on what level you do, it can have any sort of impact on your career. It can have an impact on your, your education. It can have an impact on everything. If you are going to enter into a relationship with it, I think you need to do so fully informed. And I think you need to understand what that means to you as an individual, what that means to you as, as, a, as an athlete, what the risks carry as an athlete and an individual, and then make your choice from there. And I guess, and that's exact reason why we're trying to provide this education is to provide those informed choices so that people can go away and, and yes, as much as they can listen to an entertaining story like, like mine, what actually the point of that is to make people aware that it's very easily, this can very easily happen to anyone. And especially in a sporting world and a sporting setting where there are going to be opportunities to become involved in it. If you are, then do it fully informed. And if you do start and if you do start to exhibit behaviours that are vulnerable, like you start to stay up stay up late playing poker or you're spending too much time, you're chasing losses, you have a win, you chase your winnings, you start to use credit cards, you start to beg for bonuses, all of the things that show signs of vulnerability. If you start to do that, then explore your relationship with it. Because if you do, and you can navigate your way around it and make people aware of what you're going through, then it becomes so much easier to get away from. Because if you get to the point where I get to and you think your only way out is to is to continue to lie, deceive people and try and do it all yourself it ain't the way to go um and 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 that is one thing that i would absolutely recommend um to any young athlete because you may not be the next tom brady whoever it is maximize your whole potential of what you have got and don't have any regrets and certainly don't let gambling be the regret that keeps you from from doing what you can do as i said i'm not saying i'm not saying i would have been the greatest player in the world i definitely wouldn't have but i guarantee i would have been better than what i made i made of myself and that that is that is when you sort of sitting here at our age 40 years of age with sat with those regrets wishing you could have had another go at it that's quite tough so actually make the most of what you have and your opportunities because and don't make this the thing that makes that makes that go to um the proverbial yeah no i mean listen as as somebody who works with athletes for a living to help them optimize their performance through mental skills this is just one piece of it right understanding that there are behaviors that you can undertake that are going to take away from your ability to perform at your highest level. And that's, it speaks to me because it's my experience and it held me back in my life until I stopped and moved forward. So I, I mean, I think the other thing that you said is really important, you know, I think the takeaway for anybody who's listening here is there are resources now, right? There's education at universities, there's mental health counselors, there's people you can talk to, you know, there's resources online that if you think you have a problem, explore it you know, look for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help because the sooner you do that, the sooner you're going to be able to move forward and make change. Yeah. I mean, look, that that's the biggest key is it, no matter what it is, there are the mental health nowadays is far more accepted than it was, I guess, when, when we were 
involved in our sports and, and doing what we were doing as young kids. Utilise the services that there are. Also, that coincides with not bottling things up and trying to deal with everything yourself because that in itself is a difficult and hard and time-consuming thing to do. And especially when you're an athlete and you've got time with your own thoughts, that becomes difficult. So yeah, I mean, look, yeah, do, do not bottle anything up. Speak to people, talk to people, find out information about it, learn about what that means, What learn about what gambling is, what it means, what it can do, what the risks are. For me, the biggest thing I would have done is when I won my money, I wish I'd have spoken to somebody and had a conversation about how to manage it, what to do with it, to set some limits, to play responsible, all that kind of thing, because I didn't know any of that. And I just went off thinking that it was free money. I could do what I wanted with it. And actually, it wasn't the money at that issue that was the, at that time that was the issue. It was the environment that I was creating for myself that would become unsustainable going forward that I didn't have a clue about. And actually, I wish I'd have done that now. And I'll, I'll just, let's end on this. I'd say a problem shared is a problem halved. That that's what it comes down to, right? If we share the things that are on our minds with other people, we're going to be held accountable or we're going to be educated about what's a good decision and what's a bad decision. When we keep it to ourselves, then we start to make our own choices about you know what we want to do. And it just, a lot of times for a gambler, it doesn't end up well. So with that, I want to really thank you uh, for taking the time to do this. I love this conversation always. And I think that it'll be really valuable for you know those young people who are listening and their parents to, to kind of hear about your story and what, what it is you do in terms of gambling education. Now, Mark, could you leave us with um, where can people find Epic Risk Management on, uh, on social media? So you can, we're on Twitter. You can follow us at, at Epic PGC. By all means, I have a, there's an email, there's a website, it's www.epicriskmanagement.com or you can email me at mark at epicriskmanagement.com. So yeah, more than happy to, to take questions off, off, off sort of students, parents, anything that wants any advice on anything to do with what we've spoken about. But ultimately, when, when it comes to the time that you do get this education, take the time to listen, take the time to learn and take the time to speak out if and when it does become an issue. And then you will, the likelihood is that you'll be all right. Thank you again, Mark. I really appreciate no it. Worries, Hopefully we can talk again soon. Good to speak to you. Speak to you soon. See you, buddy. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.